I'm Teresa. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Hi Teresa. In, on July 27th, 1996, I went to my first meeting. I, my neighbor took me. And uh, she and I were not really drinking buddies. It's kind of a, a strange story, but um, she would come over and have wine every once in a while. And um, she'd never have more than two glasses of wine. And um, she'd say, well, my husband's first wife was an alcoholic, and so I, I'm, I'm very careful. And I said, okay. And I, you know like somebody to keep me company as I'm, I'm downing my drinks. <laughs> so about six months later, I get a call from her, and we'd become really good friends, had lots of long walk, walks together. And she said, you probably don't want to hang out with me anymore because um, I checked myself into outpatient uh, rehab for alcoholism. And it was about 10 o'clock in the morning, and I couldn't believe it because she never drank too much around me. Uh, she was really careful, and she said, I've been lying to everyone. And um, I drank every day, and um, I'm tired of doing that. And it's okay if you don't want to hang with me. Well, my heart was going thump, the bump, the bump, the bump, because... She wasn't saying anything about me. And she said, well, why don't, why don't you think about that, and um, I'll talk to you later. It's still real new for me. I've only been going for a week. And um, just let me know. So immediately, it was a Saturday, and I was so freaked out that Immediately, I went and poured that much OJ and that much vodka and downed it. Um, that was my story. The things she had shared with me was my story. Um, and we were just telling secrets, you know, and um, I was scared to death. So one week later, after she gave me that call, I had misbehaved one more time. Uh, I was over at my in-laws, and my husband said, this has got to stop. It was the morning after, the night before, and I couldn't remember what I did. And I played the game like I did so many times of laying next to him and wondering if I was in trouble. And so... I'd put my arms around him, and if he'd kind of shuffle away, I knew I was in trouble, and then I'd get up. If he would put his arms back around me, I knew that he might forgive me this time. Well, I still don't know to this day what I did, other than just drank too much and said stupid things. But he was serious, and he said, I miss the girl I married. And if he would have yelled at me or did anything other than be kind and look at me so disappointed, I would have gone out fighting, you know. Well, you don't know what you're talking about, and I work so hard, and I need to relax. 
I couldn't say any of that because he wasn't attacking me. He was just sad. And that's the worst thing he could have done, or let's say the best thing he could have done because I had no excuse. I had no comeback. I, I, I couldn't fight, which was my default. So he said, why don't you call Carol next door and see if she'll take you to a meeting? I said, okay. And I went to my first meeting, and I looked around the room, and I bawled my eyes out for a solid hour. And uh, I didn't want to be like you guys. And, but I knew I couldn't drink anymore. But I had my friend... Carol to hold me, hold my hand, and I started listening. And then, because I was still trying to disassociate a little bit, I thought, well, this is kind of interesting, and I'm a crazy reader, and I thought, I'll write a book, <laughs> and I'm going to call it Lucy and Ethel Get Sober, because she's my next-door neighbor. And so I would put down all these crazy things about, um, oh, you wouldn't have liked me then. I was self-centered, selfish, judgmental. Um, it was all about me. So I'd go in the meetings, and instead of thinking about my recovery, I would go, you know, if you just cut your hair, styled it a little bit, you know, put a little frosting in there, It'd be okay, and you wouldn't be bitching about your husband leaving you. And just a little bit of mascara and lipstick, yeah, that, that would do good. And I didn't see the person. I didn't want to see the person. And um, so I kept writing in my book. I kept writing in my book about um, I didn't understand how this, these women would cry and cry saying they don't have... Um, dates or anything else, but they couldn't take care of themselves. I couldn't see the pain that was in the women in there and the men that the last thing on their minds would be fixing their hair, putting in frost, um, a new shade of lipstick. It took me a long time, and I'm very ashamed of that. And then I get to this point where I'm always sitting in the back row. I'm sitting in the back row all by myself, but the little part of me is going, they're all talking to each other after the meeting. Nobody's talking to me. Nobody's sitting next to me. Well, I didn't even think about maybe moving up a little bit closer or introducing myself or, or anything else. I'm ashamed today because, and I can't, I can't go there, but I, I feel like I could be so much more advanced, but I was fighting it so much. I, this is really embarrassing. People that would be big book thumpers, I'm a, I'm a reader, I read psychology, I read everything I can get my hands on, and I thought, well, you know, you know, every paragraph, every line in the big book, but that's because, you know, you don't have a very eclectic um, 
reading material and this is all you know. So you must not be very educated. But in the back of my mind, at the same time I was pulling that stuff, I knew that I wanted to know. I wanted to know what was in that book because I read a lot of wisdom books and the arrogance that was there and every time somebody would, would talk about a portion of the book, it was something that I had read elsewhere. Time after time after time, it went back to the big book and that was like a compilation of everything that's out there, spiritually, um, psychologically, um, knowing the human brain, knowing the human heart, it's all in the big book. Sorry I was such a slow learner. Um, it took me a long time to get a sponsor. Don't do what I did. <laughs> My, I, I'm a case in uh, don't do what I did. But I did get out of myself a little bit. Um, still had to work on being impatient. Um, you don't want to drive with me to this day. <laughs> I'm working on that one. But, um, you know, the you know, who in front of me was slow and had nothing else to do but be in the fast lane and hold me up. And the person behind me that was on my tail wanting me to get over was some crazy person. So, um, and I'm, I'm the daughter of a truck driver, and I had the vocabulary to match. Um, I was kind of famous for taking all those words and adding them onto each other until I got seven or eight swear words in a row. And anyway, I was, I'm working on that too. But um, I did want everyone to like me as soon as I found the depth, as soon as I found the uniqueness in every person in that room, I did want to belong. And it might have taken me a little bit of time, but I realized that was my tribe. And you all were saying things out loud that I could not imagine. You know, guys that drink are kind of wild and it's kind of funny, but a woman drunk is disgusting. And I just didn't want to be associated with that. took me a while also to do service work. I figured that those people that were secretaries and GSRs and everything else just didn't have a life. You know, I work and I do this and I have all these things to do and I don't understand that until I volunteered to be a secretary and it was the neatest thing I ever did and it got me out of myself. It got me to greeting people and picking speakers and um, recognizing that it's, it's selfish to not give to others. It's absolutely rewarding to do something and get out of yourself instead of listening to that obsessive brain go on and on and on. 
you guys taught me that we are not our thoughts. We have a higher power that gives us the ability to step back and say, stop, stop that train running. Um, That's not you. There's a divinity in you, or at least in my belief system, that is better than that. And instead of um, being judgmental, then I started to listen. And I started to get to know people better, and I started to find out what was going on with them. Um, There's an Anne Lamott saying that, um, and I'm going to butcher it, but she talks about the fact that she thought everyone else was born with... um, Oh, the secret password to a cabinet with all these shiny tools that would help people get along with in life. And she thought everybody but her had that password. But she started to go to AA. And again, I'm really kind of synopsizing here. And she said, what I found out was the, the password, the wisdom, whatever, was in these rooms and the friendship and the knowledge and everything else had been there all along. Um, They were kind of rusty tools, and they were well used, but they were invaluable. And she realized that she had access to those two. And that's that's what I realized as well. Sorry, I I will ramble if I don't kind of look at some notes here, so forgive me. Um, I was, when I was drinking, we would give dinner parties every week, because that's that's really sophisticated, and that would legitimize my, my drinking. So, my husband is a great host, he's a normie, he pairs wines, he does all that, I just wanted to drink. And because it was so much work getting things together, I'd be down in the wines before anybody walked through the door. And by the time they got there, I was lit. And we did it every weekend. But all the work that was involved, cleaning the house, going to the store, getting these unique recipes so it all looked a certain way, I was willing to do all that work so I could get drunk. Because my husband had a certain tolerance. I would drink every day after work, but it was legitimate if I did it on the weekends and we had company. I don't cook now hardly at all. (laughs) I don't like to. Um, I don't have that excuse. I need to, to talk about July 27th, 1996, because I have not had a drink since then. But I only have six years of sobriety. And I realize this is an AA meeting, but um, I'm not, I know I'm not the only one that has tripped um, on pain pills. And so pills were never my story. I didn't even take an aspirin until, you know, I was quite old. And... Um, I started having surgeries, surgery on my neck, my shoulder, hip replacement, things like that. And I got through the first couple with just, I don't know, when can I get off of these? 
and then I had some other issues that were coming up that would require more surgery and the doctor gave me some pills to maintain and I did that for two and a half years. Hardly took anything, only when I needed it and one day it was hurting really bad and it wasn't time to take the next one but I've been doing this for a long time. I know what I'm doing. I, I took an extra one and it gave me euphoria for the first time ever. I had no idea. And that was the end of it. I was off and running. I was using more than one doctor. Um, I went to the absolute worst doctor in the world. She was an idiot. She would say things like, you know, better life through chemistry. And yeah. And um, she'd give me a three-month supply, and I'd go back in six weeks, and she wouldn't even check the records. She'd just give me another three-month supply. And, um, and I did it. So my sobriety date, as I said, is um, now April 9th, 2009. And I share that because there's got to be other people like me out there that that was not their problem, but it's, well, we're all kind of old, but <laughs> present company accepted. Um, things are starting to, you know, give out on us and get painful and things like that. And um, I share it even at an AA meeting. Um, just to let people know that it could happen to you as well. And it was very difficult to start over. It was difficult to confess, to let them know that I actually had been lying when I collected a couple of the coins um, after I started taking the, the pills, um, not alcoholically, but as an addict. So... I came here 11 months ago from Oregon, and I found my home very quickly. When you have 20-year relationships, though, it's hard. It's hard to be a person coming in with nobody knowing your story. Um, everybody having history with each other, sponsoring each other, that type of thing. But I knew how to do it. I need, knew how to walk up. Like Tasha walked up today and introduced herself to people. I knew that that was on me. And I knew I would be happier if I did that. I'm a slow learner, obviously. When I uh, started writing the book, again, I wasn't sure if I was one of you, so I had to write this book about these rare birds in these rooms, right? And, of course, having my best friend be in there, too, we would go, can you believe that story? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so I'd write it down. And fortunately, um, Carol, my neighbor, had some real adventures. She had crazy sponsors. She went through through three of the weirdest people I've ever met in my life. Nobody here would ever do anything like this. But um, 
this one sponsor was so clingy and so needy, she actually got into bed with her and her husband one time. I mean, just just wanting to hang out, not anything else. But um, So I had a lot of fun with that one. I hated cliches. Come on, you guys. Come up with something more interesting than saying let go and let God and this and that and everything else. Clichés are truths. And the other thing that I, I found out once I opened my heart was, this is our shorthand. This is what we say to each other to remind our sponsee, our sponsor, our friend, you know, what we've gone through, what works, and it's our shorthand. And I wouldn't give it up for anything. Those clichés are part of my vocabulary, too. The, again, the loneliness when you're out there, it was horrible. I didn't think there was anybody, so I'm very close to my husband. We don't have children, so we have each other. We kind of raised each other since we were um, 19 years old. But nobody knew me. Nobody knew that I drank as much as I drank. I hid my drinking. Again, women drunks are disgusting. Um, there's a whole book on how I hid, and I'm sure everybody in this room um, can give me their stories as well. But, um, you know, I didn't fool anybody. I used to take those little Tupperware salt shakers that you take camping, and I would fill it with vodka because it was fairly waterproof. And because I always had this huge bag so I could put stuff in it, I would put the salt shaker in a gym sock, put my <laughs> other gym sock in there so it looked like I was just, you know, ready for the gym. And... That was good for a snort before dinner, going out to dinner. Um, mason jars, they went under the, the bathroom sinks. And so my husband thought for a long time I was a, a lightweight. In fact, almost to the end, he'd go, she just can't drink very much. Yeah, little did he know that every time I said I had to go to the bathroom because I had a weak bladder, um, I was tossing it down. And so then when I came out and had one glass of, of wine and was pretty tipsy, he'd go, God, you've hardly drank anything. <laughs> I know. I also had, um, I was getting to half-gallon jugs of vodka. And I am not a crafty person, but I went out and bought some embroidery that you could stick in a big tote bag and just enough stuff to put on the top to cover my, my gallon. And we've all shared stories about how we get rid of these big old containers of booze. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't talk to my husband about this, but I think he didn't want to know. And it's easier. You know, that whole tough love thing means what it says. It's tough 
to love somebody and dig your heels in and say, this isn't working anymore, you've got to stop, I will help you, than it is to look the other way and let you continue to just have bad behavior. Because um, I would keep those secrets, who knows? I don't think people knew. People told me after I was um, sober long enough that I actually told somebody besides my boss. They would go, no, you didn't. You didn't drink very much. Yes, I did. And I'm sure you could tell, but thanks for saying that. And I had people say that over and over again. But again, that was just an indicator to me that nobody knew me. You know, it's lonely when you're out there drinking. It's very lonely. And I've got over the fact that I'm saying this stuff all out loud. You guys are saying some stuff out loud, which is your experience. And I don't cringe anymore. I just feel like it's real. I worried about my husband and what he would think. I didn't want him to ever come to a meeting. Because if he heard the stories, he might think that I'm like that. And I was. But I still wanted to keep up the pretense. And again, once I got it, that I didn't have to be lonely anymore, I decided early in sobriety, who knows why, we were going to give a, New Year's, a sober New Year's Eve party. So I gave all those parties before, so um, why not? Why not do that with no booze? And it scared me to death. I didn't know anybody, but my husband is the consummate host, and we played AA Jeopardy, and we had names, um, games that would introduce and t tell things about each other. And I was having fun. We were laughing. It was so noisy. The drunkest party you've ever been to was not louder than we were. <laughs> but we had a great time. And the next morning, instead of worrying about whether he was mad at me for whatever I had done the night before, I was kind of nervous about what he thought. Was he going to think everybody was kind of goofy and, oh, my God, honey? And what he said to me was, that was the coolest party I've ever been to in my life. I've never heard anybody laugh so hard and be so real because I love these people. I went, oh, my God, you're not even a program, and you've really evolved, honey. <laughs> I am just so grateful for this program these days. Um, the people I see in this room is just such a fellow traveler, you know, and you've been working on yourselves. I just admire the hell out of everybody that shows up to a meeting. And then I went through a period where I thought everybody on the, all the normies needed to go to a meeting so they could evolve too. Come on, you need to come to this meeting and kind of shut up and listen a little bit. <laughs> I didn't say it was fixed, but I'm getting there. One lady said to me one day, she said, not true at all. I'm clumsy. 
I'm a goofball, um, you know, but I put on a real good show. And this lady said to me, but you're so elegant, you're so this. And I'm going, oh my God, you don't know. You don't know that the more insecure I am, the longer I take in front of the mirror, because I don't think I have anything in here to offer anybody else, so I better look as good as I can. That's sick. But what she said was, and she was also a woman that, you know, took some time to put herself together, and she goes, it's okay, we're swans. She said, it looks like we're calm on the top of the water, but we are swimming as fast as we can underneath. And she said, that's pretty common to a lot of women. But I enjoy the freedom here to let you guys know who I am. I am privileged to know who you are, and I'm privileged to have you teach me the lessons that I need to, lead, to learn. Yeah, I'm a slow learner, but you'd think after almost 20 years, I've made some improvement. So I hope so. Thanks for letting me chair your meeting and, and be a visitor, and um, that's all I got. Thank you. Thank you.